Black Magic and the Millennial. I'm Brian Babylon, Old Black Magic. And I'm Molly Adam, the Millennial. This week, we're talking television, a TV show. I give my much-anticipated thesis on Jim and Pam Halpert from The Office, and I unpack how their white, mediocre lives ruined America. Whoa, I hope you unpack that thesis at Dartmouth at some point. We're also going to be talking about the mainstream media and how they are failing all of us. And Molly, I have a question for you. Yes, Brian? What do I call myself? Am I black? Am I African-American? Am I Afro-American? Am I a spade? What am I? I don't know if I'm the white person who can tell you, but I'm sure there are plenty of white people who will have answers for you this African-American History Month that we're in. Hey, Molly. Hey, Brian. Many people are very curious on who the real Trump voter was that put us in this crazy predicament. What do you think about that? Yeah, people are really wondering that. Who is the real Trump voter? It's a lot of them. It can't be that many, like, hillbilly NASCAR, angry people from the, no, you know, a, Appalachia, it's, right? It's a simple slice of the population who people believe, want, want to believe. They want to believe who the real Trump voter is. So they really, so you have to think, like, there were some regular-ass kind of, like, people that you thought were cool who voted for Trump, yeah? There were people who voted for Trump, who never admitted that they did, because until the election, the reason that polling was all over the place was because nobody in Wisconsin admitted that they were going to vote for Trump. Well, Molly Adams, guess what I have for you? After a lot of research, soul searching, and pot smoke, I've come to the realization that America's sweetheart couple, Jim and Pam Halper, from the hit TV show The Office, were actual Trump voters. You know, I have barely even watched that show, and I'll believe that. You don't watch the show, but you know what key points. Well, of course you know me. I watched The British Office. Oh. So, ooh, yes. So I've watched a few episodes really? of The American Re- Really? Really? You, wa- you watched it? <laughs> you, re- you really? <laughs> okay. Yeah, so I watched a few episodes of The American Office. It's different. It's super silly. It's totally ridiculous. But I do know that Jim and Pam are like, the central couple in the show, right? That they like, are they going to get together? Are they not? Mm-hmm. And then they get married and there's a baby and like, you know. Okay, it's, so it's, st- let's stop right there. So you can see, now I'm going to paint another landscape for you to get you, get your mind correct. So Jim and Pam are the center of the world in this office, correct? They're, you know, your average mainstream, main street America white couple. I would say that they're also, you know, kind of Jim particularly is like the protagonist of the show. I think who they kind of give a lot of screen time to, a little bit of the voice of reason, who you're supposed to identify with. Now, couldn't your Jim Halpert be the forgotten man in that painting that (laughs) (laughs) Sean Hannity was going to give to Donald Uh Trump? Okay, well, th- we can't talk about this. Everybody just Google the forgotten man, Sean Hannity. Look at the painting. And the dude fucking looks like Jim Halpert. Okay, <laughs> look at that and then come back and then hate. pause this podcast. Pause <laughs> this podcast, look that up. Now we'll be waiting. Now we're back. Okay, you have your e- everyday common white man, like uh, like the guy in It's a Wonderful Life, kind of, right? Yes. Hey, everybody, hey! That yeah. guy. Okay. His Morgan. lady, your average working white woman who you know is not at home if it was a 50 she's out making money as a receptionist right 
Mm-hmm. And then you put them in this diverse office. It's not that diverse have, of an office. It, it, th- think about it. Hold on. Think about it. It's a sort of a slice of what America is. You have a Indian girl. You have you three have, people of color in that whole office. Then you have Daryl in the warehouse. But he's in the warehouse, not the office. You have a black security man. Hank. Hank. See, okay. Okay. So I've, it's, I've it's, watched a bit of this it, show. It's not it's not like walking into some public radio station well, in Chicago. It is, I would say actually it is kind of like walking into a public radio station in Chicago because you just kind of have like the bare minimum you need to not look entirely like a, what's your word, a cotton field. Cotton field. But can I just say one thing? At the end of the day, I don't care what people say, there are more white people in America than anything else. Everything can't be a potpourri, okay? It yeah, there's more is. white people and then we're overrepresented in workplaces and in places of learning. So Jim and Pam Halpert are kind of what they portray themselves to be is this nice white couple who's, you know, I don't think Pam went to college, but Jim did go to college and... They're not the fanciest white people, but they're working class, but they're not poor white trash. But they're not, you know, <laughs> the Colbys or Dynasty or Blue Blood Money or even New Money. Agree? <laughs> I like that your understanding of white families is like the Carringtons. <laughs> and then there's like. Okay. Or Archie Bunker. Okay. I'll give you the white people that I know. Okay, I no, I I see these are okay. These are Jim and Pam, and probably other people in that office. Since these are my people, they're people who voted for Obama because they were taken in by his genuine coolness and charisma. Obama is a guy who you can see yourselves being friends with because he's kind of a black guy where your I don't see color philosophy sort of works. Because mm-hmm. Obama was raised in a white family, he can yes, he can hang with white people. So Jim Halpert is not intimidated by Obama because Obama's charismatic. He'll probably say, hey, Jim, how are you? How are you, how are you doing? Yeah, he's and, self-effacing. And, he has yeah, humility. Right. Okay. Jim is also cool with Daryl, the black guy in the warehouse, because he's like kind of like me. You grew up in Scranton. You work in the warehouse. I'm in sales. I can have this sort of, you know, I'm in corporate, you're down here type of relationship with you, even though he doesn't manifest like, you know, Oh, I'm better than you because I work in the office and you work in the warehouse, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then with the old guy, the older black guy, he's just older. Yeah, he doesn't even, he doesn't even, he, okay. One home, ready? He doesn't even register this guy's name because in one episode, Molly, where Jim's stupid ass locked him out the office, he had to call Hank and didn't even know Hank's motherfucking name and had been working there for five years. He's like, oh, what's his name, guys? Like, he didn't even know his name. Ooh, I I was meaning the other black guy, like, in the office. What's his name? Oh, oh, Stanley? Stanley also is non-threatening. Stanley's this fat old black guy who don't care about nobody. Leave me alone, Jim. Do you. And he's not even, he doesn't even consider Stanley a threat in sales, even though they're both salesmen. He doesn't even consider Phyllis a threat because she's, you know, a chubby white lady. I watched two episodes in particular of this show that you wanted me to watch. Yes. Uh, when Idris Elba comes in. I'm like, sure. Yeah, I, I never watched this episode, so I'll watch Idris it. Elba, Idris Elba, if you, uh, Stinger Bell from The Wire. Stinger Bell? Okay, Dad. Is it Stinger Bell? <laughs> Stringer Bell. <laughs> oh, oh, Stinger Bell. Okay. So you know who we're talking about. The yeah. It Luther, the It Black guy. 
And I, what did you he think of that? In, what did you think of that casting? First of all, was that that was very purposeful? I believe. Yeah, because he's very serious. It's like the first time there's like a one hundred percent serious person on the show. He, uh, yeah. So he comes in as this new boss and a black man. I, I watch these now. I'm sorry. I'm a teacher's pet, so I like know exactly where you're going with your thesis now. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That basically, okay, because one of the reasons I have a tough time watching The Office, people are ridiculous in offices, but Michael Scott, while he's sweet and hilarious and the funniest man in the world, I would have screamed in his face and left that office like forever ago. He's so incompetent. He's the like him and Jim. I, it's all this these examples of just like white mediocrity rising to the top. And the only one who is not mediocre is the one that they shun. The one that Dwight they fear Troop. is Dwight Troop. But basically, Dwight, in these- Dwight the landowner, <laughs> Dwight the one who had enough money to actually, at the end of the season show, he buys the office building that they work in. Wow. Okay, Dwight Troop ain't no joke. But you know what? Dwight Troop would tell you who he was voting for because he's a real motherfucker. And if more white people acted like Dwight Troop, we would slice through a lot of bullshit and racism. But basically, I was like, okay, yeah, Jim would vote for Trump because everything's a joke to him, number one. Like, he has no ambition. Like, the fact that he does dumb things and wastes company time and wastes people's time. I'm so serious. Mayor of no funsville over here. But, like, he's the exact type of, like, oh, whatever, who cares? It's funny to vote for Trump. Now, I'm going to tell you the reason he actually got activated to vote for Donald Trump. And ladies and gentlemen who are listening to this podcast, when you hear this, come to your eardrums. Please don't drop your phone or listening device out of shock. Because reality and TV are going to be slicing in an explosion of knowledge. When Jim found out that they were pushing Hillary Clinton to be the nominee of president and not the Scranton hometown boy, Joe Biden, the vice president, who should have been the nominee. We would not be in this situation. Now I'm giving you some old black magic. He didn't, want, he didn't want to be the nominee. That's a motherfucking lie. They told that nigga not to do that shit. The Clintons and their cronies in the Democratic Party. Okay, this got to do a weird fan fiction again. What is going <laughs> Didn't the office go off the year, off the air like two years ago? I'm telling you, this is like, I'm, I know this, I know this is blowing your mind, but Jim Halpert is from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Joe Biden is from Scranton, Pennsylvania. <sighs> okay, that's it. That's it. It's Scranton. The end. TED Talk. And this always goes to a theme of this podcast of how I want to really to end racism the old black magic way. The only way to do this is to really recognize racism and bullshit on all fronts you can't dump it on you know hillbilly trump people or rich people who are republicans or mike pence you have to put it on the 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 msnbc people who we're going to talk about later who put greta monster face on the air during this black history month like it's black history right Mm mm-hmm I know what black is. You know what black is. We know who black people are. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump's statement was proclaiming it African-American history month. 
you know, his like his statement honoring. He mentioned like three black people, the other three black people that he knew besides the one he, he mentioned in that that breakfast talk. Oh, he I'm didn't use the word. He didn't use the word black once in the proclamation. And that's his prerogative. Like he didn't change the name of Black History Month. Um, and I did I did a little scooping up on Snopes. And they said that President Ford was the first one to use the term Black History Month. But Bill Clinton, Barack, Barack Obama, the blackest one in the room, mm-hmm. and George W. Bush all used the term National African American History Month at least once when they put out their yearly statement. And then Jimmy Carter, George H.W. Bush, and Ronald Reagan used both of those terms, Black History Month, African American History Month, but also said, as was in the Times, Afro-American History Month. Oh, stupid-ass Jesse Jackson. And, yeah, well, I mean, well, I, think well, that I hear that from white this. people. Like, what are we supposed to say now? The same way you hear from, like, you know, straight people or whatever, cis people. Like, I don't know, he, she, what? Like, what yeah. do I do? <laughs> like, it's like, okay, there's, it's not like a million words. It's not even like four words. It's two or three. I'll just say the Donald Trump part is, I think he's just stupid, of course. But he, the reason he said it is he's really trying to push this America first crap mm, yeah, that's probably true I, I don't even think he's thinking race because he's not even he doesn't even know how to even think about race in a serious realistic spectrum let's let's get to actually asking this semi-ignorant question but i think actually a really helpful question to a lot of people we're gonna ask this question by playing a game of ultimate smackdown smackdown brian yeah you and i have known each other for a long time and I know that you have one answer to this question, but as a young white person growing yeah. up in the multicultural age of public education, mm-hmm. I don't really remember ever specifically being taught one thing or another. I do remember like a vague, pervasive, like African-American is was like more respectful or whatever. And I think that that maybe comes from like thinking blacks a bit of a bad word, but like at this point in my life, I default to black. I think, and and this is to not to, of course, bash white people just for being white and saying you were wrong. You were just doing what you thought was good. I think when you were maybe out in public in front of people, you probably said African-American, but in more casual things like around the house, or on the phone with your black friends or Latino friends, you probably say, or your white friends that you were just comfy with, you probably said, yeah, he's black and blah, 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 and it just rolled off your tongue, where that heightened sense of white guilt fear amongst other people. African-American is politically correct. It has dignity and decorum. You're so right. And you just better hope the person is African-American because if they're Kenyan (laughs) and just here on a whatever, whatever visa, you're looking like a fucking idiot. We called some friends of ours to get a few other uh, few other opinions on this. So it's not just one white lady and one black man's opinion. here. Oh, black man. Speaking of, you know, being not in America, let's hear from uh, our friend Tim Barnes first. As a light-skinned millennial, I've thought quite a bit about how I define myself, and I think that I am a black American and not an African 
American. And I say this for two reasons. Reason number one, my grandpa, who is black, is one of the most racist people I've ever known for people of all colors and shades. He is what you might call a Creole American, white skin, wavy gray hair. Depending on how the light hits him, he either looks like an old Asian woman or Morgan Freeman. Reason number two, I'll never forget in college, I went on a study abroad trip to Italy and the Romans are a uh, disappearing people. They're not breeding as much as they should. And there were a lot of uh, a lot of immigrants, I guess you could say, a lot of Africans there. And there was a lot of animosity between the two. And this is my first time really exploring anywhere outside of the United States. Um, wasn't very sure of, of what I was, who I was. And I remember very distinctly being on the subway trains there. And the Africans would be giving me a lot of dirty looks, basically, who the hell is this guy? And then also the Italians would be giving me a lot of dirty looks, like, who the hell is this guy? And that's when I knew I was definitely American and I was not African. Therefore, I am a black American. So I think Tim makes a good point there when you African-American suggests like two different borders, right? And two different nationalities. No, it's 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 two continents. (laughs) Yeah. But then it's like it's (laughs) yeah. And, And then it's that. But then that continent of Africa is so gigantic, which a lot of people don't even can't even comprehend where you can fit a few Americas on top of that shit. People don't understand within that there's so many just different cultures and races. Yeah, I mean, well, this makes me now I'm like, because I realize like maybe sometimes I do help me out here. Yeah. I do like the first time, like you're right, if I was introducing somebody, I'm trying to think of it as, but like I might use African American like the first time I said that because I know it is important to some people. But there's no no one is no one is gonna say don't call me black. Who the fuck's gonna say that? <laughs> hey, don't call me black. <laughs> Who? You're right. What? You put it that way. What? What person? What person of color? Unless they were like, unless the, now we do know. I do have friends of mine who are ambi- racially ambiguous, and they're not black at all. Like I've told you multiple stories where I've been dating a woman. And I'm like, so what race are you? And they're like, oh, like I'm, um, I'm, I'm like Indian and white. And you do the race math, like, wait a minute, you're not black at all. But they project all this blackness, and they're not black at all. That's happened to me twice. So I'll just bring up the next speaker, Jill Hopkins. <laughs> at the age that I am, I've kind of like lived through all sorts of like names like when I was a kid in the early 80s and we were Afro-Americans and then we were African-Americans later somebody decided and now we're black again I guess but I've kind of just always considered myself to be a black person I've never been to Africa Uh, I have no real plans to go there I couldn't tell you what part of Africa my family was brought here from and I think if you ask a, uh, a lot of black people in the United States, they would uh, tell you that they had the same like genealogical problems uh, that you just kind of hit a wall after a while. 
So, um, I, 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 I prefer black myself. It, it tells you all you need to know in one handy syllable. Uh, and really, I'm ready to bring Afro-American back. Afros are great. I have one. It makes me happy. This is Jill Hopkins from Chicago, Illinois, the host of the Morning Amp on Vocalo. And I sit in Brian's chair now. Ooh, what's up with that? So Jill mentioned the the history of this too, Afro-American. And that was like, I remember an old white professor of mine would always use Afro-American. Old. And so, like, all the college kids were like, is that racist? He was just in his time. Like, I remember those days. Would you be offended if someone was like, and Brian Babylon is, I would near the bell of the ball. Somebody's like, yeah. and Brian Babylon, a renowned African-American comedian or a renowned Afro-American comedian. And wait, then was I taking the stage after they introduced me? Yes. Oh, hell yeah. Then I was like, what? Who the fuck says Afro-American? I would definitely roast them. <laughs> But you wouldn't be hurt, like, in your heart. No. Like, what an idiot. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be offended. Now, I'm going to tell you what would be offensive. Spade. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to, like, bring these bad... It is. It's like, oh, my God, I do have... My, I'm like, I'm so uncomfortable. Spade is so funny. <laughs> The last person we're going to hear from is actually a professor, somebody uh, from mm. the White Tower. Northwestern, to be exact. She's a professor of African-American studies. It's certainly important to note that there has been variation over time in the terminology that we've used to describe people of African descent. Part of it is about power. Part of it is about identity formation. And part of it is about the ability to define themselves. I think that's why you have these perennial debates about the best terminology to use. And as our understanding of race becomes more complex and nuanced and allows for the wide variation that exists within particular communities, we recognize how challenging it is to come up with one universal term to describe a people. Currently, the term black is probably the most commonly used to describe people of African descent. It really signals uh, the diversity within communities, um, black communities all over the world. It recognizes that there's quite a bit of diversity across cultures and within cultures among black people. It recognizes the geographic diversity, but it also signals a particular political and perhaps even cultural experience that black people the world over share. The term African-American is a little bit more geography specific, meaning it is tied to black people who connect their ancestry to living within the United States, usually over a period of generations. And I say usually because here is where we get to the nuance. African-Americans often use that term to signal their connection to the United States, but also to signal their connection to Africa and to Africa as a potential political organizing project, but also as a homeland. So it is certainly a nuanced discussion, but overall, I think that the term black is becoming much more widely used to signal a global black experience. 
Thank you to our friends Celeste Watkins-Hayes, Jill Hopkins, and Tim Barnes. Jill is the host of The Morning Amp on Vocalo. Tim Barnes hosts It's All True, a podcast. And Celeste works at Northwestern University. All right, last little bit of the show here today. White lens. White lens going through my brain. Yeah, I was thinking of what to call this. I know we talk a lot about whiteness on this show, but I have firsthand experience being a white person in the media. Brian Babylon has firsthand anthropological experience. Well, the thing is, I live my life as a confident white man. That's how I've gotten so far. (laughs) So, you know what we said earlier in the show? Yeah, white people are the majority of people in the United States, but we are overrepresented in almost every industry, including in education. And we are definitely overrepresented in the news media. Mm. So I thought I'd call... What do you mean by that, Molly? Like in terms of who has decision-making power. Okay, don't get me started. Don't get me started. A lot of times, I think when you see diversity in a newsroom, it might be on camera or maybe on mic. But not in the editorial rooms. No, not in the decision-making rooms. And that's why I want to call this white lens. Goes Um, through my brain. But it's just a way to talk about all the different ways that the mainstream media is sketchy. All right. My prediction from the first show is coming true. The mainstream media is moving to the middle. Uh, I don't ever know if they were really that liberal, but they want to prove to everybody how neutral they are. So we still don't have the official word of what Megyn Kelly will be doing at NBC, but we do know that the lovely and talented Tamron Hall will be leaving NBC. How long have I been in love with Tamron Hall? A long time. Like N-L-O-V-R-N-B like the songs they don't Centuries. make no more. Like you you with her before. Girl. She, she used to she wake existed. me up every morning in Chicago. And <laughs> I, I actually I started dating women that had a Tamron Hall look. Okay. But that's this not is the getting point. Creepy. How's that creepy? Yeah. And that's not the point. Oh whoa, well, that's not the point. But how's that is that creepy, bro? <laughs> We don't have time for this. Okay. Can I just say one more thing? What? I didn't know Megan's name was spelled with a Y. She's a Megan with a Y? Yes. Like a, she's like a Megan? You see how I spelled it right on our show prep document? Oof. That's that's a good Megan. Most Megans are like with an A or E. You get a Megan with a Y? So I'm not necessarily saying that like Tamron Hall is to the left, but Megan Kelly has done some pretty uh, blatantly racist things on her show. And she... Would you say, no, Tamron Hall's not on the left, but would you say Tamron Hall is more on the real? Yes, and she's someone who people connect with, and again, someone who's been there for a while. But the mainstream media is moving to court that Trump voter. 
they now think that they want to have it both ways. They both want to be skeptical of the administration and get their ratings by like continuing to push this little war with the White House about facts instead of just like doing their work, reporting the facts instead of having to like have Kellyanne Conway on CNN for half an hour to like spar about who's responsible for the lies in the first place. Like just cover the deportations, just cover the things you want to cover. But it's not just NBC, the new Huffington Post editor, who is a queer woman of color, she has Whoa, said... that is diverse. Yeah, very double diverse. She has said that she wants to reach Trump voters with their coverage, which I think, well, you know, she, she rightfully wants to move away from these kind of snarky headlines or blatantly critical headlines of the administration. But that's where the media thinks the money is, unlike, as I said earlier, the advertisers who seem to actually know where the money is. Well, and, and that's, then, what I want, that's why I want to stop you, Molly. And to that point, do you think at the end of the day, a click is a click, technically, okay? Clicks don't make that much money, yeah. Well, no, I mean, no, clicks make clicks make money as far as letting advertisers know who how many eyeballs you can reach so do you feel that at the end of the day a right-wing person probably is going to have their new source they probably would never go to the huffington post but who you're saying this trump voter is is technically a person in the middle a trump voter technically as i said earlier is a jim halpert they're not yeah, just they were some, an Ob- they were an Obama voter. Right. They're true. not they're not some just, you know, right-wing evangelistic person who lives in Alabama. They're a person in New York, they're a person in California or any major city. But what I think the issue with this, my issue is that I think this just opens the door for more editorial content that is counter to freedom and liberty honestly that means they're gonna have like i mean and i mean also like as opinion pieces they want to get more people who are going to be pro unconstant you know who are going to be writing in support of an executive order that is most likely going to be turned down the supreme court there's going to be this courting of opinions and voices as opposed to i know that they got really made fun of this but one of the things that the new york times is going to do with all of their new investment from the subscriptions is start uh, they said they want to invest in reporters who that they had some bad leaks or not leak but they had bad PR around this they want to invest in reporters who are having dinner with non-new yorkers that like it's you know they got made fun of and i think rightly so because it's like really you weren't talking to non-new yorkers before jesus christ like we see how they parachute into communities but they're mm-hmm. actually going to be investing in long time reporting so it's not so much about the politics about what are your issues let's actually start covering what matters to you well most people have podcasts like this to depend on hopefully the rest of the media catches up and gets in there because we're all about work thanks for letting me go on my little get get my little rant on there put my rant pants on Mm -hmm. i need to put my rant pants on well that's the show this week next week molly I actually have a track I've been uh, prepping. It's a Depeche Mode cover for Fly Mm. on the Windscreen. And I've been talking to a lot of people about gloom and doom. People think everything is so bad. I have an old Black Magic Remedy, some music, and a pep talk 
Everything's going to be okay. I'll tell you how next week. Everything's going to be all right, you mean? No, just no, just okay. Okay. Just okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going full Bobby McFerrin on me. No, just okay. okay. Uh, R.I.P. Al Jarreau, we're out. No. Charles Oakley for president. That's what I want. Charles Oakley for president. I'm Brian Babylon, Old Black Magic. Molly Adams, a millennial. Thanks to Danny Johnson for producing this podcast. And Celeste, Tim, and Jill for giving us our phone calls. You guys can reach us at Old Black Magic and the Millennial on the internet.com, that is. <laughs> on the internets.com. You guys can visit our website, brianandmollypodcast.com. We have old episodes and various bonus materials. You can also give us a like on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash OBMATM. Obama? I know, it does kind of have a little Obama. Obama? It's Obama ATM. Ooh. Moment. See you guys next week. Bye.